Welcome to Life and Leadership. I believe in creating community, connections, and creating space to be curious. This podcast aims to take you on a conscious journey through quality, diverse, innovative content and conversation. My hope is that we create a circle of influence, a transcendency of compassionate leadership in the world and wider universe. Welcome to a dialogue around assembling your tribes. I believe there are benefits from taking a conscious journey. It enables you to meet life's challenges with courage and grace. My featured guest today is Leah Dean, a coach, speaker, author, wife, and parent. Leah provides leadership to help women shift their mindset around the power of support and gain confidence and clarity to lead, thrive, level up in their personal and professional lives. Leah regularly hosts events and workshops that bring women from around the world together to learn to develop personal and professional tribe building skills. Leah believes that when we find our tribes, we do great things. She is the founder of Design for Impact and Young, Original and Unstoppable, a conference and event series for women and girls respectively. She also does Pay It Forward Bermuda, a movement created to inspire Bermuda residents to spread kindness. Listen up, Leah and I are going to have a very rich conversation and I look forward to you joining us. Wow, so how can tribes change our destiny in life and leadership? My feature guest today is Lear Dean. Lear J.M. Dean is the founder and CEO of Conduit International Limited, and she's authored a fabulous book that I spent my whole Sunday reading, Assemble the Tribe, which comes out December the 1st, 2020. The focus of this conversation is devoted to dialogue around the relationship between experience and meaning and the implication of social connections or the lack of thriving networks in life and leadership. I believe there are benefits from you taking a conscious journey, enabling you to meet life's challenges with courage and grace beyond reactivity and compulsion. So if you are not in touch with your inner North Star, guiding you on a sacred path or even ever greater significance and meaning and contribution, then I believe assembling the tribe may be a blessing for you to explore. So Leah, growing up, did you ever imagine you'd become an author and write such a compelling book? I had no idea that I would write a book growing up. It wasn't even, it wasn't even my radar. A few years ago, I started, actually a few maybe more than 10 at this point, I started writing these annual Christmas messages to my friends. But that was really my own, my only aspiration. I did not think that I would write a book. Well, if you didn't think you were going to write a book when you grow up, what was your idea as a child or a teenager or tween? What did you imagine you would be when you grew up? (laughs) So I... You know, I think every little girl thinks she's going to maybe be a nurse or a doctor. So I did that that whole phase. 
And then as I moved into my teenage years, um, you know, my dad, who I know you know, is one of my, my heroes. And at the time he was working in the insurance industry, which is a big deal in Bermuda. And so I, you know, as part of my high school day release program, I participated and worked for an insurance broker. And so I really thought that I would do something in the industry. I didn't know what. But that's really where I thought I would spend my life as an underwriter in the insurance industry in Bermuda. Isn't it funny how we have these childhood aspirations? I thought I'd be an intergalactic explorer. (laughs) I was a latchkey kid, so I got to see Lost in Space and uh, Star Trek and Star Wars. And I was even, as a quite a young child, watched Neil Armstrong step on the moon. So I had these visions from growing up in tiny, teeny New Zealand, which is hardly on any globe or map in the world. (laughs) And I've been an intergalactic explorer, but the closest I came was being on the edge in the 1990s of reinsuring satellites and rockets. So now I'm just into being a stratospheric cosmic thinker. You know, that's that's my goal now. I was about to say, dealing with people has its 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 own type of exploration, right? (laughs) Yes, it, it can be universe expanding. Leah, so why do we need tribes now? So I... I love that question because I had to wrestle with it. I mean, I had no idea when I sat down to write this book about just over two years ago that I would be done now and that we would be releasing it at this moment in the world's history. And so there's really three reasons why I think this book is relevant now. The first is... I call them my three R's, so I'll give you those to you really quick. The first is really about relationships, right? This year, more than any other year in in all of our recent memories, has challenged how we think about relationships, whether it's, you know, political divides or dealing with recovery from the coronavirus, you know, maybe you're dealing with it yourself, maybe you've lost a loved one. We all need our relationships more than ever. And the science and the research, you know, of course, it really talks about the importance of healthy relationships in terms of living longer and healthier. And so I think just because of the landscape and the tapestry of what's happening in the world right now, we need those relationships more than ever. And The second reason is really about rejection. You know, most of us, especially women, you know, I did a proprietary research study with 1,200 women and 71% of all women have experienced some kind of rejection in a group setting. And typically most of that rejection happens when we're quite young. And so we have to, you know, navigate, um, how do we deal with that rejection? You know, maybe it happened on the, playground, or maybe it happened in a work setting, or maybe it happened in a relationship that was really important to us. We all have to figure our way back. Um, And I think this year on a world stage, we've also been dealing with, you know, a more sinister type of rejection with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. So there's a lot of healing that I think we need to do and, and really wrestle this thing about rejection to the ground, which brings me to my last reason for why I think the book is important now. And I took a little bit of flack from this one for my brothers. You know, they're like, why are you writing a book for women? This idea of assembling our tribes or building tribes isn't gender specific. Why on earth are you writing this just for women? 
And the reason why I decided to write this book for women, you know, you can only be an authority on so many things. I am an absolute authority on what it feels like to be a woman. So I felt like I could check that box. But I think the impact of the coronavirus, everything that's happening in the world right now, the role that we play in society, the impact that we can have on children and raising the next generation, I think women are positioned in a way that's not better, but just unique to influence how we think about relationships and engage in our relationships differently. And so the book is a bit of a call to action for women, but also supporters of women who feel passionate about this like I do. I had a father email me the other day to say, hey, my daughters are 18 and 21. I love the message of what's included in the book. You know, is this for me? And I said, absolutely, because you have to navigate the world with all of the women in your lives. So why not? So those are my three reasons, relationships reduction and the reliance that I think the world has on women. Now is the time more than ever. Absolutely. And I celebrate your courage to say it was divinely inspired. All my work, all my life has been led by Kairos to be on spiritual time. So time and spirituality are very key in my life as a woman of faith. But could you just speak to this being divinely inspired? I say divine inspiration because, uh, you know, you asked me, did I intend to write this book? Absolutely not. I produce women and girls events. Um, as I've done it as a hobby for the last few years. And after our second large event, I arrived home and I had the team here with me and we were talking about it and we were excited because of all the transformation that we were seeing take place. And I think by the time I fell asleep, it was maybe about 2 a.m. And so at 5 a.m., I just, I woke up like with a start and something just says to me, go sit at your computer. Now, I love to sleep. I'm at least an eight hour a night person when when I'm at my best. And so the idea of getting up after three hours of sleep was not very appealing. Um, And so I really resisted this urge that I felt to go sit at my computer to write, but it was quite insistent in terms of the urge. And so I, I finally got up after maybe about 30, 40 minutes. I sat at my computer and I still didn't know I was there. And then I just started typing. And an hour later, I had this outline for Assemble the Tribe. Now, the the meaning and the fullness of what it meant in terms of tribe didn't come until later. But the basic structure of the outline is exactly what you read on Sunday. And I just, I, I, I still am blown away by the fact that that's how it all transpired. That is an inspirational story. And it's, I'm so grateful that you share it because when we have that call to action, I think a lot of people don't realize that if you don't pick up that call, it moves on to the next willing soul. So the book was going to get written. I'm very grateful it was you. And I really like your formula. Believe plus be different. Believe, belong, be different. That's it. So how to build tribes. Explain the formula for building tribes using believe plus belong equals be different. There's a really great story of how I came up with the formula in the books. I won't share that. But in its simplest form, believe plus belong equals be different. The way that the formula works is that if you believe that you have value, and I think that all of us do, and you have to believe that you have value to really show up in healthy relationships, then you can take that belief in your value 
And then you can go into these places where you want to belong and experience belonging. But it's really that fundamental value that you have in yourself that helps you to show up in a certain way that creates more connection. And then what I love about the formula is that so often, many of us, we get stuck in the belong phase, right? Because isn't that what finding your tribe is all about? You want to find these places where you feel safe and it's not complicated, and then you tend to stay there. But invariably what happens is that we relax into the inclusion that we're finding, and then we tend to exclude everyone else around us. And so then the question becomes, well, if I only have so much capacity to have these quality relationships, then what do I do with everyone else? Because I'm still going to meet hundreds, if not thousands of people in my lifetime. And so the idea with the formula is that you believe in your value, you find belonging, and then you leverage those two things to show up differently. And different means shifting the way that you think about how you engage in relationships with other people. Every day, am I going to close myself off because my kind of friendship card is full? Or am I going to be open to meeting new people? And I often find, you know, people, I talk to a lot of women and they say, I'm afraid. Like I, I'm afraid to go outside of maybe these one or two people that I feel like I can trust. But in this believe, belong, be different formula, when you get to the be different phase, you know, worst case scenario, you experience rejection, but think about it. If you believe that you have value and that you matter and you found these places to belong and experience belonging and you've invested in those relationships, then you don't have to be afraid, right? Because if somebody rejects me, I can say, hey, I'm just going to go hang out with Michelle, right? And best case scenario, I add somebody else to my tribe. Now, there are different levels of depth to those relationships, but to be able to exist in this place where we think of our close relationships and as a springboards of safety from which to build new connection. I think that's an incredibly powerful, powerful thought. Absolutely. And we live on an island with an amazingly diverse population, which is complemented by an amazingly diverse expat population, which is complemented by lots of people coming to visit us as well. So I'm with you. I love diverse friendships, diverse yeah, interactions and things like that. But I like the point that you brought up about how many of us struggle with feelings of worth. I'm really interested in what are some of the ways we can navigate or reverse those negative stories that we tell ourselves so that was one of the beautiful ahas that I had in the process of writing the book. And I'm going to go back to the first part of the formula, which is believing your value. So value by definition is worth, it's importance, it's utility. And belief by definition, so this isn't Leah, this is just the definition of the word, is a habit of the mind in which you instill trust or confidence in a person or thing. So if you put that back together, it's every day I have to set my mind and my intentions such that I'm building trust and confidence in the fact that I matter and that I have something to give. And, you know, one of the concepts that I talk about or I share in the book is this idea of what I call five mindsets of value. And it's actually become quite important to me personally because 
I'm obviously doing something new. I've never written a book before. I'm on this podcast with you, which I've never done. And so there's all these stories that start to creep in. You know, am I going to screw it up? Am I going? How am I going to? And and we start to really focus on all of the things that could go wrong. But because I am really not focused on what could go wrong, I'm focused on who can I touch? Who can I share? Maybe there's a listener that's going to tune in from across the world who needs to hear what I have to say today. When we focus on that, then that is when we really can make a difference. And so in the five mindsets of value, I talk about, you know, what are your gifts? Do you share your gifts with others? Do you compare yourselves to others? Do you focus on gratitude? Are we setting boundaries? And I personally, in this process of stepping out into the unknown for myself, I find that when I leverage those ways of thinking, then I don't really have to get stuck as much as I might have in the past, which is beautiful. And one last thing about kind of this whole negative story, because I, I, I love the whole idea. While I was writing the book, I interviewed this woman. She's a gratitude um, neuroscientist, absolutely wonderful woman, Stacey Danford. And she painted a, a story for me to help me really understand this whole mindset thing. And she said, Leah, think about it like this. Your mind and your brain are separate. And I said, well, I've never heard that before. And she said, neither had I until I started my degree. But if I took your brain, I could literally put your physical brain in a jar. And I said, yes, you could. She says, but I could not capture your mind. And so therefore they're separate. And your brain operates a certain way based on your experiences, right? So think of what we just talked about earlier where women have experienced rejection, right? When you're entering into another relationship, your brain is remembering some of that pain that you felt because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to keep us safe. But when you then say in your mind, I'm going to set my intention differently from what my experiences have been, we can just navigate our relationships differently. And we can tell ourselves that we're going to rewrite some of those negative stories that we've experienced. And so for me, when she shared that, it was like, like, you know, there was just a whole kind of opening of my mindset, there's, there's much broader ways to think about how we engage in the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we allow others to project on us. So five mindsets of value um, is how I navigate. And then also really thinking about what I'm thinking about. Well said. And this being the month of gratitude, I'm glad you brought that up. I would just add onto that brilliant neuroscientist that you feature in your book. We actually have three brains. There's one in our head, one in our heart, and one in our gut. And in fact, the heart brain projects 5,000 more times the energy of the gut and the head. So it's a fascinating area to look at. I'm also going to be exploring the body-mind connection because at different stages of our life, and often if things have happened to you before eight, certain traumas have happened before you're eight years old, there's no way to deal with it because you didn't have the limbic emotional brain or the cortex executive thinking brain to make sense of it. So it's in your old brain, which sees saber-toothed tigers everywhere. So consequently, if you ha there needs to be a way to go back and resolve that. And I'm actually exploring what's out there because if you've suffered a trauma at a young age in your childhood, and it may be beyond age, I'm not an expert, the amygdala, the old brain, is going to go to the worst case scenario. 
So whenever you find yourself with anything that's similar or could trigger this, like someone who behaves like a person who may have hurt you, your old brain immediately goes to the trauma. This is what might happen. And you have no way to process it without this. I'm looking for a way, a modality on how you would resolve those issues. So your words... I'm happy to talk to you about it offline. I've actually developed a tool that I use in a lot of my programs. I call it the mindset bridge, which is how can we follow the natural patterns of our brain to navigate some of these traumas that we've experienced or even navigate current situations. So where am I today and where do I want to be? Because if your brain processes logically, emotionally and instinctually based on things that have happened to you in the past. How do you make sure in your thought process that you're checking all of those boxes? I remember when I was talking to the neuroscientist, she said to me, sometimes we tell people to just get over it. But if it's an emotional response, you still have to deal with that. And even if you can process it logically, maybe you're thinking about it logically, but your heart and your emotions are taking you in a different direction. And so the mindset bridge that I use, it's really, how do I make sure that I'm thinking about things logically, emotionally, and then in the context of my past to allow me to really deal with it holistically? So I I agree with you that our brain does work in amazing ways, but there are questions and processes that we can go through to help us navigate those. And I use that in a lot of my work. Fabulous. And we can add in the show notes a link to your mind bridge program, because I'm sure if it's come up in the conversation, other people are thinking about it. Well, the program's probably coming a little bit later in 2021, but um, they can definitely sign up on the website. And I use it mostly in my coaching at the moment. I'm developing a program around it. So yeah, we can put that information in the notes. Fantastic. So I'm going to move on to the belonging part of your belong. We're biological beings, so it's so important for us, especially in these times of physical distancing and social isolation. We're looking for the opportunities to heal our inner wounds, no matter how deep, and transform them into strengths. So, Leah, what are the places where we can find belonging? So a big part of my journey in the writing and the research that I did is really thinking about what a tribe is right? So most of us tend to think of tribes as these groups of three or more where we find safety and connection. But if you really start to pull the word of tribe apart, you'll learn that it's everything from the one-on-one relationships that you have to the groups that you choose to be a part of, to the people that you connect with outside of kind of where you've chosen to invest a lot of time who share similar beliefs and mindsets. So our tribes, in some ways, are everywhere. And whether we like it or not, we connect on on many, many levels. So I talk about different levels of relationship being the one-on-one relationship that we have, the groups. And when I say groups, I'm talking about three or more that we choose to be a part of. And there are different kinds of groups, which was interesting to me that kind of came through in my research. So there is kind of these organic relationships where you know, they materialize. Like my best friend and I, we still can't figure out how we became friends. It's just, you know, we're we're connected and we're thankful, but we can't remember the origins. And so some relationships are just really easy like that. Then there are others where I call them life stage groups where you're connecting around different life stage events. It could be marriage, having a child, going to college, 
and you have these life stages. There's also professional groups, formal groups, resistant groups, which is one of my favorite types of groups, which I stumbled across in my work. Those are where we've kind of experienced some pain. And so we come together with a group of people really to help support each other during times of need. And so there are these different types of groups that we can choose to be a part of. And then in the book, in that kind of be different phase I talk about, there's the next level of relationship, which is how how do I connect with and navigate all the other relationships? So everyone else. So those are all the places where we find belonging, which we, they are all of the places where we can choose to belong And then hopefully, given how we show up, experience belonging. Well said. I like that. I really enjoy doing some of the exercises in the book as well. I kind of, not really with a lot of choice, came with being different (laughs) and then figuring out how to believe in myself and how to belong because, uh, you know, sometimes that can also make it tricky for you to connect up. But I really valued these segments and the be different and the imparted wisdom in your book because Each of us is a unique and wonderful being. So we make unique footprints in life and leadership, especially digitally in our digital exhaust. I like the way you referred to the equality of sisterhood and how it offers us a freedom to express and produce our contributions that can only be offered by us alone. So I'm going to refer to your research, which I thought was a fabulous size sample to have 1,200 women respond. We're usually in the busies. What was the most interesting finding from your group? So there was a lot embedded in the research that was interesting to me. I'll I'll share two things and it may turn into three, but I'll start with two. (laughs) I looked at at least eight different graphics as part of my research because I wanted to understand, you know, as women, are we really processing some of these dynamics around our relationships differently based on Um, you know, whether it's age or marital status or industry. And I looked at eight and I would say there was maybe a little bit of difference in perceptions and propensity to want to engage in group relationships, depending on education and income levels. But I wouldn't have said that it was statistically significant. Other than that, there were no differences, which says to me that as women, we are more alike than we are different. And a few months ago, while I was writing um, one of the chapters, I was traveling back on a plane and I met a group of women from Saudi Arabia and we were having a great conversation. And I just happened to be writing the chapter about kind of the dark side and how we navigate some of those frictions that we find, the friction that we experience in our relationships. And here was a woman her background, her family life, her experiences, you know, she talked about the fact that they had just gotten the right to drive in Saudi Arabia. Like her experience was very different from me, but yet very quickly we connected around this idea of the complexity of sometimes navigating the relationships that we have with other females. And in fact, she was on a trip reconnecting with her girlfriends. And so it was a very timely conversation. So that was really one of the things that really resonated with me and became very clear through the research. As women, we are more alike than we are different. And so that really paves the way for us to also experience connection, I think, in a different way. The other thing that really hit me, and maybe it's because I'm raising a 12-year-old girl, she'll be 13 in a couple of weeks, but 
most of us have experienced, as I said earlier, those difficult situations as children. But when I went into the research and I, I asked the women, you know, did you have the opportunity to observe positive relationships as a child? And if so, what was the impact that that had on you? Like the impact that we have as adult women on the next generation is incredible, right? Most women said, when I saw my mom or my aunt or my auntie engage in that positive relationship, it made me want to have one or it made me a little bit wary, but I was still open. And so we have more influence than we think we do, how we talk about other women in the presence of our children, how we help our young girls navigate the difficult experiences that they're having as children, which are natural, right? It's just part of growing up. But the words that we use. So when I talk to my daughter, I don't say things like, oh, little girls are difficult and catty and they'll just get over it. I use words like, hey, here's what's happening with your bodies and your brain. So in the same way, you wake up today and you feel awful and you don't even know why, they're having those same kinds of days. So how can you maybe just be a little bit different and more patient when you're interacting with them? And so really teaching my daughter to figure out how to bridge some of those frictions that she that friction that she experiences in school, I think that's what we need to be doing with our girls every day. And so those were the two things that we, there's a lot of stuff in the research, of course, about 150 pages worth of research, but the role that we as parents and mothers and aunties can play on influencing our kids. And then the fact that we're just more like them, we're different. That was really powerful in the research. Thank you, Leah. Um, my, I have a paternal aunt, uh, God rest her soul. She uh, came in and out of my life sporadically, but she was my inspiration. I decided to go off to law school and I used to go and spend my weekends with her at the beach. And towards the end of my first year at law school, she said to me, I always wanted to go to university, but I never had the chance being one of the second oldest of 13 kids. And she'd also come out from Wales on a ship to New Zealand in the 1920s, I think. And she had worked her way up uh, through the nursing profession, which, as we said earlier, was one of her opportunities as a woman in the 20th century. But as a senior, she had done a peace walk across Russia in 1990 when she was in 70s, I think. She had nursed with Mother Teresa in what was Calcutta. She had also built roads, hospitals, and schools in the South Pacific after World War II. And lastly, I don't know what struck me, but I went to the admissions <laughs> office at my university and asked them to mail her, because this was last century, an enrollment form. So I, I get back to school after the summer break, and lo and behold, Auntie Val comes rocketing up. I'm like, oh, do we need to have a cup of coffee on one of your travels? She says, no, I can't find my class. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds phenomenal. Oh, and we graduated together. And the time it took me to do a law degree, she did a double degree in anthropology and feminist studies. Wow. And she was very worried about ageism and, you know, not feeling smart enough. But she was a living legend on campus because can you imagine meeting someone who nursed with Mother Teresa and done a peace walk across Russia in 1990 in the midst of still the Cold War? She was such an inspiration, but she did pop in and out of my life. But I was so grateful because she was an inspiration. Most of the women examples I had did not have that 
uh, joy de vivre and love of life and a sense of adventure, which I certainly had. So um, I'm really glad to have had that inspiration. So I celebrate women who are willing to be the living legends and examples for the young women of our time. In fact, women of any age. I mean, the fact that I've, I started this podcast during you know, COVID-19, <laughs> believe you me, I knew nothing. I didn't, I'd never even listened to a podcast. So, you know, sometimes it's just uh, fun to follow your nudges and inspirations and suddenly find yourself publishing podcasts. <laughs> and there will be someone who listens, who hears that story and is going to be inspired just because you chose to t- take the leap. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Leah. So I'm a stratospheric imaginative thinker and I use my skills to produce new ideas. So there have been times in my life and my career where it makes it hard to fit into the norms. And especially as a futurist, I often about three to five years ahead of those around me. So I celebrate uh, your survey, but I would offer a different story in that when I did my doctorate with global leaders, I could not get women to join I was really, really shocked. There was so much resistance. And I'd get comments like, Michelle, we're not like you. You go ahead and do it, and we're really glad. And I would sort of try to try to gently encourage them, saying, divided we fall, united we stand. On the issues that I was bringing up in my doctorate, women needed to have a say. And that was a massive challenge. So I'm hoping now that it's uh, six years later, <laughs> that women will speak out on issues that are incredibly important, uh, even if you're not one of, you know, someone who fits the norm really well. So I want to ask you about the four-step process, what you call DARE in the book. Ah, the DARE. So (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote and created that model for women who want to kind of take the bull by the horns and go out and create their own tribe. Now, I found that you can use the steps of the dare in your one-on-one relationships as well, but they tend to work really well for people who want to go out and create groups. And so, and I'll, I'll use one of my own examples as I explain what it is. The first step in the dare is really to define the relationship. So a couple of months ago, as we were beginning this whole, one of the lockdowns during COVID, I noticed that, you know, my friends were feeling disconnected. They were lonely. They were all struggling and we were stuck inside and we couldn't connect. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to create what I call now a resistant tribe and it's going to be virtual. And I will figure out a way to bring women together to talk about what we're experiencing because we've never experienced anything like this in our lifetime. And so really defining what I wanted the group to be, what we were going to talk about, how often we were going to meet, what was the purpose, the impact. And so when you're the one creating the group, a lot of the steps you follow for yourself. And then when you get the group together, I find you almost tend to repeat them, right? Because you need to connect with everyone around why the group exists. So that's the first step. D, define the relationship. Why do you want to have it? And then two, the next step in the process is somebody has to activate, right? So I'm, I'm a go-getter. I like to bring people together, but I also am, am busy and I have a family. And so sometimes you need somebody to support you. So if you have this great idea, can you get it done on your own, which means you're going to carry all of the responsibility, or do you need to find other people who are going to help to activate and bring it together? And in group relationships, and even one-on-one, every time you connect, 
there has to be kind of an agreement. This is the person, this is the individual who has the next step to bring us together. I mean, and I even use that in my one-on-one relationships. I met with a young woman last week and she wanted mentoring. And so before she left, we agreed, okay, who's the person who's going to activate next? Because if we aren't clear, then we might not get back together. So the first step is to find the relationship, then figure out, you know, how are you going to make sure that the group stays together? And then when you are creating the group yourself, then you got to reach out, right? So with that um, tribe that I told you I set up virtually, I had to reach out and I reached out to about 30 women in my network and said, hey, I want to pull some women together for this purpose. Are you interested? And I think maybe about 25 of them said, yes, we're in and five didn't. And so that's actually an important part of the process for us to remember. Not every single person that you reach out to is the group or whatever it is that you're trying to create. It's not going to be a good fit for them. And it could be because they're not interested. It could be because they don't have time, whatever it is, just be open to the fact that not everyone's going to want exactly what you're creating. And that's okay. And then the last um, step of the, the process is once you get the group together, take the time to examine the motivations of the people who, I mean, you have to examine your own motivations and setting it up, but take the time to have the conversation. I'll never forget, I invited someone to a group many, many years ago. And, you know, I just invited them because they wanted connection. And my friends will tell you I I have an issue, right? They know that if it's a good thing, I'm probably going to try to add more people. And so I invited this woman to a group that I was a part of. And that particular group was going through a some really important life stage issues. And so it was more of a support group. And what that woman needed is she needed more fun. She wanted to go out and play games and just do things that were lighter. And so it wasn't a good fit. And had I taken the time, I'm much wiser now, (laughs) but had I taken the time to just examine her motivations and what she really needed, then I would have done a better job of making sure that it was a good, good fit. And I have a group of women that I have traveled life with now for almost 20 years. And from time to time, we have to have these conversations where we're just saying, hey, we're shifting, we're growing, we're getting older, our lives are changing. Kind of what are your motivations and what do you need? And so I think if we can define it, figure out how we're going to stay together, the cadence, we're reaching out and connecting with people who have similar values and being open when some folks say no, that doesn't necessarily have to change our relationships. And then taking the time to examine what are the needs of the people in the group that you formed? I think those are some simple steps that we can take to increase the likelihood that the groups that we create and the organizations that we form will be successful. Totally agree. Totally agree. For example, I'm an early bird, so I'm usually up six, seven o'clock in the morning, if not 4 a.m. So it's really hard for me to do events at night. I, I really have to organize myself to do events at night. So I'm going to move on to close relationships. I mean, they're of the most utmost importance to me and certainly central in the decisions I make. So I seek holistic balance by striving to maintain harmony in all aspects of my life. So I really appreciated you touching on the dark side and the common challenges that are written out in your book. So I'm going to ask you, what are some of the challenges and how do we navigate them that come to mind for you? Maybe just touch on one. People are going to read that nice piece in the book. 
So thank you for asking. One of the things that I love to say is to be human is to be complicated and to be female is to be uniquely so. And I don't say that to be condescending rather, but there are many things that we struggle with as women in our relationships. And I think the reason why we struggle and there's kind of this dark side to our relationships is because we're busy. We have a lot on our plates. And so when we're choosing these places where we want to belong and experience belonging in our ideal world, we don't want friction. Right. But we are, we're human, which means we bring our history, the stories that we tell ourselves, our emotions, we bring all of that to the table. And so some of the things that I talk about in the book are number one, personalities. I often hear women say, oh, it's the personalities of the group that, you know, help us to be successful. Well, that's not necessarily true, right? If you and I, Michelle, formed a group and every single person had the exact same personality Mm -hmm. as you or I, it would be a very boring group. (laughs) So the variance in the personalities is actually what kind of brings life to the groups that we choose to live with. So it's not really about the personality. It's really about the maturity and the way that we navigate those differences that impacts our success. So that's a huge one that I really encourage the readers to try to unravel. How am I showing up such that I'm creating an environment where it's not all about me and my personality. It's really about, you know, I I want us to be together and to connect. So for example, in my group that I just told you about, I was the activator, which means that I'm the driving force to say, come on, we're getting together, we're getting together, we're getting together. And my personality in that driving, if I'm not careful, can be could come across as very abrasive. And so I have to make sure that I'm thinking about, well, how is it going to impact this person? How will it impact the other? And just being mindful about that. So that's a big one that comes through. The second one that's worth to mention, there are 10 in total that I touch on in the book, is <laughs> hormones. Now, I did not intend to write about hormones in the book, but as I mentioned earlier, I'm raising a 12-year-old. She's going through puberty. Um, I'm now in that phase of life where perimenopause is kicking in and I have other friends who are in menopause. And so over the course of our lives, pretty much from puberty all the way through, there are things that we are experiencing as women that is unique to us that can get in the way. I mean, think about it, Michelle. How many times did you get up and say, I am going to eat this and I'm going to be very focused. And then you end up eating, you know, a bucket of chocolate (laughs) or, you know, you want it to get up and be hopeful and you end up spending the day crying. Like there are just things that happen to us as women that we can't often explain. And so really increasing our level of sensitivity that the other person might be experiencing something that they, they are struggling to control In the same way we would want people to be generous with us, we have to be generous with others. And the last thing that I I think is worth a mention because it is really one of the foundational things that we have to navigate as women and actually everyone is how we communicate. And so in the book, I talk about this concept of necessary conversations, which my very good friend Anne Dorgan introduced to me several years ago in a leadership course. And it's really this idea that when things happen that create friction, you know, we talked about our brains earlier, right? There's this natural stress and flight response because we tend to think of conversations as difficult and hard and scary. 
Whereas if we think about the relationship and what we want, and we come at it from a place of love and caring, then we, could ne- we can experience different outcomes. So for example, my husband, bless his heart, we've been home sheltering in place, and he has this really bad habit of leaving the Keurig cup in the machine, which just drives me crazy. And so I could kind of yell at him and say, why aren't you, right? And just really get upset. Or I could shift my mindset and say, I want to enjoy the space that I have to live in every day with my husband. And so instead of really kind of shouting or getting frustrated, I will say, honey, I know that you have a lot going on and you're busy, but can you try to remember to take it out so that I don't have coffee grinds in my tea? Would you mind? And so really, if I had to sum it up, necessary conversations is just shifting your mindset from the idea that conversations have to be scary, hard, or difficult to the idea that if you care about the relationship or the outcome, we can choose to think differently and choose different words to move the relationships forward. And so therefore the conversation isn't difficult. It's just necessary because I want to enjoy my time with you, Michelle, right? Absolutely. In fact, I can give an example of a necessary conversation. I spent um, the last four years with my grandson in New Zealand while he was at high school and I was doing my doctorate. And he'd come flying in from high school. He'd drop the bag in the doorway. He'd drop his sweater in the hallway. He, you know, socks, shoes, there'd be this stream of things that I was going to trip over or have to pick up. So um, I found some space when he could actually hear me. And I said, you know, your life is going to surround you with women. And here's (laughs) a little piece of wisdom. When you leave things lying around, be it a cup or a sweater, they scream at us, scream in our heads until they get sorted out. So the first few times we might pick them up, but those screamers (laughs) start having us look at you. So if you could be respectful in the household and put things where they're meant to be, there'd be a lot less screaming in my head. (laughs) (laughs) A look on his face. (laughs) And I got it from some book on teenagers because finding myself after having had four children, raising my teenage grandson for four years, you know, in a family situation, I was like, oh my gosh, I need everything I can read. (laughs) And for women, those things, like they pop up all the time. Like, I, you know, just to give you one more story, I have a girlfriend and she is the most loving, caring, empathetic person. And so we had an event at my house one night and, you know, someone came in and they were really hungry and they were late. And so she just kind of went into the cupboard and grabbed something for them. And to be honest, in theory, I was very comfortable with her wanting to support and take care of the person, but I wasn't as comfortable with her going into the drawer and grabbing without having a conversation. And so I thought about it and I was like, oh, this is a little simple thing. Maybe you shouldn't say anything, but because it bothered me, I said, you know what, let me just talk to her so that next time, instead of grabbing it, she just comes and she says, hey, Leah, here's what's happening with so-and-so what do you want me to give them? And she's, when I told her, she says, you know what? I, I wasn't even thinking I was just, you know, and she's like my sister, right? So she comes over all the time, but she says, I wasn't thinking I just was in help mode. And now I don't have to worry about it. Like it's never going to happen again. It was a very quick 
three to five minute conversation and that issue is forever going from our relationships. And so that's just a really good example of because we want that time that we're investing, that limited time to be enjoyable and fun and full of joy, when things happen that aren't quite right, we just have to hit them head on with a conversation. And the earlier, the better. Absolutely. I really appreciated your section on necessary conversations. I'm finding at this stage of my life, I'm not interested in gossip and drama llamas. I'm very keen and happy to be connecting with people who have an attitude of gratitude and always open to help, but not to be involved in the drama and the gossip. You know, there's this soap opera mentality that I just don't manage particularly well anymore, and nor do I actually want to. So the necessary conversations of your book reminded me that relationships I wish to continue to enjoy need to have conversations around things like the llama drama and gossip. (laughs) And And I, you know, that was the whole gossip thing is something that comes up again and again in my conversations with women and the research. Well, I would encourage them, encourage your listeners to think about it like this. If you've found a group of people that you care about and you've chosen to invest time and you only have limited time with them. So for example, my girlfriends that we, the ones where we've been meeting for 20 years, well, we only get together once a month and there are eight of us. So I want to catch up on what's going on in your life and what matters and what's happening with your kids and how's work going. Like I don't have time to talk about anybody else because I want to invest and support you. And so just to kind of, and, and I have to tell you, if my group even starts to go into something that feels like gossip, I start to feel very uncomfortable. And there are a few of us that are almost like the gossip police. Okay, guys, let's pull it back. Because there's so much that we need in order to kind of, experience our own belonging connectedness that we don't really need to waste a lot of time talking about others. At least that's the way I think about it. Thanks, Leah. So for me, experience in life and leadership has provided me with insight and understanding so that I see the importance of legacy for others and the world that holds a promise for the future. So my soul's purpose and my values drive me towards conscious stewardship for the greater good around social and environmental awareness, and particularly for future generations, or should I say, creating opportunities for collaborations, intergenerational collaborations. So I really love your last chapter, which is about tribes and purpose. Hmm. What do tribes have to do with purpose from your perspective? So I think I start that chapter with a question, which is the one you just asked, right? What, What does my tribe have to do with purpose? And the answer is nothing and everything. So, you know, our true purpose, and this is just my, my belief, our, your true purpose lies at the intersection of who you were created to be and your desire to share it with others. You know, I feel quite passionately that, and that's my, my life mission, right? To connect people and inspire change. So when I'm taking the best of who I am and I'm sharing that with other people, I'm living into my purpose. But there are some dreams that we have that are so big, or even if they're not big, we aren't always able to achieve them alone. And so the chapter really encourages readers to explore and define purpose for themselves. I talk about kind of how you navigate that and figure out what it is for you. And then once you are really clear about what that means for you, 
to talk to your tribes about it. Um, you know, if you have a podcast, you know, how can the people in your sphere and your tribe, how can they support you? How can they help you? It could be everything from helping you get Zoom up and running for your recording to um, just sharing it with their own network. Our tribes can push and help us to realize exponential results with some of our dreams. And I don't know about you, but anyone who's in my tribe who I love, and my tribe is quite broad, why wouldn't I want to support them and help them realize their dreams? Because that's what they do for me. And so again, our tribes have nothing to do with purpose, but they also have everything to do with purpose because there's nothing like support to really give you the push that you need to keep trying something that's new. And I feel that that's a gift that we can give to others. And I like to say never withhold the love that you can give to others. Well, if somebody from my tribe is doing something amazing, let me push them, let me support them as best they can. Oh, I'm so grateful for your service. And you also touch on future generations, which are very close to my heart in a multi-generational way. Personal mastery involves building up your muscles on being trustworthy and accountable. I actually call this response able. These are positive values. And of course, there are the negative values or fear-based values that are potentially limiting like blame and manipulation. So if personal mastery involves overcoming or eliminating fear-based beliefs, correcting that, being out of alignment with what is really important to each of us, otherwise we lack this authenticity, which you bring beautifully. So moving from self-interest and self-worth to having the courage to develop and grow, which I see your tribes really provide value. I'd like you to, oh, and I really love your statement. I'm not quoting you here. Girls are our future and female tribes will be their bridge to success and lifetime fulfillment. That is so beautiful. <laughs> so my question, Leah, is what is your number one piece of advice for mums, grandmothers, godmothers, guardians of young women who are struggling? My number one piece of advice is don't underestimate the power of how you show up and your words yes. in the lives of your young ones. Yes. <laughs> Just last night, I was talking to one of my daughter's teachers and, you know, she had pulled the girls together to have a conversation about whatever it was that was going on at school on that day. And she said, here is what your daughter said in the group. And she talked to them about some of the concepts that I share in the book. And some, some days I'm not even sure. Like she, she will tell you, I have not read my mom's book yet. I'm not reading it until I have my own hardback and it's signed by my mom. I'll read the whole thing. But I've been teaching her the concepts as they've been unraveling for me. And so now she's teaching them to her friends and she's 12. <laughs> and so it's just a beautiful reminder to me how, you know, the next generation, they look up to us and we have such an incredible opportunity to imprint, but that imprint can either be negative or it can be positive and it's for us to choose. And so there's a lot of advice I could give, but that is probably by far the most important. You by the very words that you use, by the actions that you take, the way you talk about other women. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, a woman that you see on television, maybe you don't like her hair or her makeup or something about the way that she looks. When we use those words, it's imprinting to our little girls. Hey, I can use those words 
when I'm talking about other women, but if we say, hmm, that's very unique, that's different. I might not wear it, but it looks beautiful on her. It just leaves a very different impression with our young people. So let's not underestimate that. Absolutely. I have a six-year-old granddaughter and we spent a lot of time together in quarantine. And I said to her one day early in quarantine, Tessa, you are exfulgent. She says, what does that mean? I said, you sparkle on the inside and the outside. So I love it when I hear her sharing with someone that she's exfulgent. And if they don't look, look blank, she, she defines it for them. So, you know. I love that word. I may have to project that one onto my daughter. Taylor, you're exfulgent. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, we're definitely putting a link to your book, Assemble the Tribe, which is out on the 1st of um, 2020. And we're also going to put a link to your free offer of a tribe health assessment, which I think is brilliant, which will be on your website, www.leahjmdean.com. So Leah, I'd like to give you the opportunity to share about any services or programs that listeners should know about and could possibly reach out for you to walk to you for. Yeah, thank you for your, for your time um, and the opportunities to talk to your listeners about that. So I do have, as Michelle said, those free uh, resources. I also offer coaching services. If you want me to come and speak to your organization or your young ladies about this idea of how we create tribes, and then in 2021, which we mentioned earlier in the conversation, I'm hoping to release a customized program based on some of the concepts in the book. So more to come on that. But if you want to visit my personal website, which as Michelle said, is leahjmdean.com, or you can go straight to the book site, which is assemblethetribe.com, whatever's easiest and whatever you remember. Um, there's a lot in store for you there. And I'm really excited about that tribe health assessment, which is just a very simple assessment to help you think about how am I believing, finding belonging and showing up differently? Uh, you know, I, I've had quite a bit of feedback on it and it's really great just to take that and think about it. And hopefully I think everyone can find one or two things they can do differently every day. Leah, you are making an amazing contribution to the world. I'm so grateful for your service. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. It is, it's such an honor. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm supposed to share this message and that now is the time and that makes it even so much more exciting. So I'm really honored to be here uh, with you today. As a steward of meaningful leadership in the world and wider cosmos, I have a passion service through sharing wisdom, strength, and hope. Thank you for the opportunity to foster open conversation, discussions, and an exchange of ideas that create understanding and connection among diverse groups. Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review, and a rating. More importantly, share with your connections. Thank you.